Today's disobedient woman in conversation is Amanda Cotton. Now, Amanda is a talented artist, and I found out a little bit about her through a BBC news item explaining that her beautiful sculpture of two other disobedient women, Anne Bonny and Mary Reed, was causing a bit of a ruckus in a sleepy Devonshire seaside village. Um, so before we go into that, best bit about this story is that Anne Bonny and Mary Reed were real women um, who lived in the 18th century and they were pirates. Pirates. I just, I can't get over <laughs> this concept. I'm, I'm so impressed. So before we do anything else, I think we need to say hello to Amanda and also to say that today we should have had Kemi, Mal and Amanda Garside um, and it's just Amanda Garside and Jackie Tompkins today, but we're still going to have a family conversation. Hi. <laughs> so let's, let's get straight into this combo with Amanda Cotton. Um, so Amanda, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and that particular story because I think it's fabulous. <laughs> Thank you. Um, a little bit about me. Well, I'm a 3D art and designer. Um, I was approached by Audio UK to create this incredible sculpture. They wanted um, me to base it around their flagship audiobook at the time, which was the Hellcats. Um, so I was briefed to, I was lucky enough to read the script and I had a copy of the script before it went out to the public. So I had to read the script and kind of design a sculpture based on that. So, so was, was Hellcats about uh, the, the two pirates? Yes. Was, that was a story about them. Wow, I'm going to have to go and yep. find that. <laughs> and have yeah, so it's available now for you to all, which, and I definitely encourage everyone to listen to it. It's an incredible story of like love, loss, identity, empowerment. It, it was wow. incredibly, incredible story. So before that, I didn't actually have any knowledge of Anne or Mary, which I think is kind of important to say. So all my knowledge comes from that Hellcats um, audiobook. Um, so yeah, reading through that, it was kind of, I pulled it apart, kind of did lots of research on them on the internet, as well as kind of tapped into other people and history books and came up with my concept, which weirdly, even though the story is of two pirates, I wanted my concept for the piece to be more about their personalities and who they were as people yeah. rather than the fact they were pirates. So I think when you look at the sculpture, you kind of realise that if you didn't know they were pirates, it doesn't actually reference that in any way. Um, so yeah, so that was important to me. So that's kind of the start of it, really. Yeah. Well, it's a very beautiful sculpture. I really, um, it really spoke to me. I don't know... It's just, it's just so, it's so curvaceous and uh, free flowing and it's fierce and it's soft at the same time. I, I, I just love it. I think it's an amazing piece. So I really was taken by that image. That's very kind. And that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted it to be quite neutral. I wanted to have that danger as well as that soft side. And yeah. yeah. Look like two people yes it you know, does. that are full of energy and life yeah 
Absolutely. I loved it. I really did. But um, so so it but it didn't go down too well when it was suggested that it might go to Berg Island, which is a Devonshire uh, coastline um, kind of a venue that you, you were thinking that you would be, it would be put there. So what, why, yeah. why did that all? So that was all organised by um, kind of my the owner of the sculpture at the time, Audio UK. So the idea was that it would go to Devon. Um, And I wasn't necessarily involved in sourcing the location, but I did visit the location and made sure the whole sculpture was going to work with that environment. So we looked at kind of the aesthetic of the land and the colouring and everything, which was being brought into the sculpture as well. So it kind of looked like it had been there for years, not just plopped there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we've done a lot of research around it in that kind of term. But I think their main issue was they didn't want to glamorize crime. So all the other aspects of my sculpture kind of went out the window. All the thought behind it, the process and everything disappeared. And all they seemed to focus on was glamorizing crime for pirates, which I guess is a big part of their story. But in terms of my sculpture, it wasn't necessarily about it wasn't pirates. the main it wasn't the main theme, was no. it? No. Not necessarily, no. Yeah. Um, do you think there was a little bit of um kind of little England going on there? <laughs> you know, in in and you know, the fact is the thinking was that they might have been lovers as well, these women. Do you think there was a lot of it's hard to say. I personally think maybe they hadn't researched their story enough. I think they'd heard it was two female pirates, blah, 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 and maybe they didn't know enough of the backstory. And when you hear the story of how inspiring and the empowerment of these women, um, that's when the whole thing changes. So maybe if now they've listened to the audio book and they've actually researched them and actually realised who they were as two people and individuals, they might change their mind. with me because they, that particular part of the coastline that there was there was there was a pirate community there right that's part of their identity right there was mm. a- well some of the historians that worked on the audiobook said that um that one of them i think it was uh, mary was actually from the devon area so okay it wasn't a million miles away from home so <laughs> yeah exactly but- uh, sounds a little bit like yeah. a misogyny going on there. I mean, you know, glamorizing. I don't think I don't think glamorizing would have come to my mind having thought about, no. you know, having a sculpture that was depicting a couple of women who potentially might have been pirates. Um, I, you know, it just it just seemed a little bit suspect to me. Mm. But um, I think for me, it was interesting in the fact that if we were going to go down that pirate line, like women were seen as bad luck to be on ships and to be pirates. But obviously these two women weren't bad luck. In fact, they were probably better than some of their counterparts, like their male counterparts. So to me, that is even more inspiring that they were on the ships and they weren't bad luck and they defied stereotype that that is the case. Yeah. So to me, it does seem strange, but... Yeah. Yeah. It was it was sad, but I think the, the, the one thing that made me um, raise my eyebrows and laugh at the same time was a comment that they felt that it was more appropriate to have pilchards as a sculpture mm-hmm. on that coastline than it would have been to have 
female pirates. I just thought, yeah, okay, <laughs> all right then. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but when I was reading the newspaper article from a journalistic point of view, I don't remember reading glamorizing piratism in that area. It was a focus on two women of what their potential relationship was or wasn't, which was affecting people. Um, yeah. I don't I don't remember reading anything about glamorizing pirates. I'm wondering oh. if that's something that's come out since the original article. I think I mean, a lot of the media articles, I haven't necessarily read them all because I don't believe that you should necessarily read all the articles that you're involved in. Yeah. <laughs> well, but certainly the rejections that were on the actual um, council's platform were based more around the kind of rejection of pirates and glamorising crime rather than anything else. Um, other than the Pilchards and the Fisherman's Wife references, there was, from what I understand, there wasn't too many rejections in terms of kind of LGBTQ pirates. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. But I think that did come out afterwards, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But it's not said that they were actually lovers. So it's suggested that they were, but it's not 100% confirmed. So. No, no, it's all speculation. Absolutely. Mm. But anyway, it's a really, really interesting story. And I was totally excited to think that, you know, there were women out there, you know, swashbuckling with the best of them um, when they should have been at home with their weaving or whatever it was that we were supposed to be doing at that time. Yeah. Um, so I was dead impressed by their disobedience. So that really appealed to me. Mm. But um, going back to you, Amanda, your... Um, I mean, you've done many, many um, projects and you've been working on several other things. And, uh, and I particularly um, was interested in a couple of things that you did. You've got the wee ribbon, which I felt well, was, uh, was really great and, and, and totally fascinating. And you've done a placenta photo frame of which, um, you know, as, as midwives, both of those things are in, really interesting to us. So... Mm. So tell us a little bit about the, the wee ribbon. Okay. Uh, that was kind of where most of like all my art really kind of started. So I've always been fascinated with kind of questioning preconceptions um, that we kind of allow to impact our lives and kind of looking at parts of our body that we love, yet when they're removed from our body, we kind of see them and have a completely different relationship with them. So in terms of hair, for example, you love the hair in your head, you love it, you love the people, you have your hair cut, you pay thousands of pounds on it in a lifetime. But when you see it in the plug hole or in the food, you're kind of completely freaked out and it, it's completely different. You see it in a different way. Yeah, that's kind true. Of, Very yeah, true. yeah. So to me, like urine we make it ourselves, depending on what we eat and we drink and what we take in through our bodies, we make this product yeah. and then we let it go, we flush it away and it's gone. And um, at the time, I wasn't actually thinking it would become a piece. I was just really excited about the idea of creating my own colour. And I thought, what better way than actually making that colour myself? So I started collecting a sample of my wee every day from my first, like, visit to the bathroom in the morning I was writing down everything I was drinking and eating to kind of find out what was making those colors and then it just kind of people 
started asking me what my wee looked like that day and things like that. So I was sharing it. And then after about six months in, because I'd already decided at this point I was going to do it every day for one year. It was one of my tutors. I was at university at the time. And she said, Amanda, you've got to turn this into a piece. It's a timeline like of who you are, your personality, your identity. And that's kind of where it started, really. It kind of stopped trying to find a colour and it just became this enormous year-long document of my life. Wow. That's yeah. So I then, I decided, because it was like a timeline, I made um, a 15-metre ribbon, which is made out of silicon and my urine that I turned into crystals, and that makes the ribbon. And then each sample is put into the ribbon alongside the date, which links to my book, which records everything that I drank for that same year. Wow. That's pretty <laughs> cool. That's very cool. So so was, did mm. you see any correlation between the shades of urine that you were producing and the things that you were eating and drinking? A little bit. Um, I tried not to manipulate it too much because I wanted it to be quite natural. Um, but not necessarily, no. When I was um, kind of menstruating and things, yes, it was a lot darker and whatnot. But the colours of them, like when I weed them out, yeah. <laughs> how I put it, they changed quite significantly over the first two, three months. Oh. They, they got a lot darker because a lot of people like look at it now and they're like, you need to drink some water. Like, mm, it didn't actually come out that colour. <laughs> so, and things would like grow in them, I guess, as the bacteria like congealed or whatever. But I had a few tests done on a few of them. Yeah. Um, and they came back all positive, nothing wrong. So. Oh, wow. It's all good. Yeah. That's amazing. So, yeah, it was intense. A whole year's worth of remembering to do it. Was that so is a level of commitment. <laughs> yeah yeah definitely sure it is. i mean it, it's very scientific and i mean it, it, yeah. it can i can see that at some point in the future this this may be a, an important piece of work that you've done amanda it may be that somebody <laughs> needs to you know work out you know what the average person was doing a hundred years ago and oh look we have yeah. amanda cotton's urine here for a whole year this is what she was up to that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah, that's true yeah Mm, pretty cool never thought of that but yeah you're right yeah so um so okay so then you then you were talking on using the same concepts about what you produce what we produce from our through our bodies you um, yeah. started to look at the, the the function and the use of the placenta yeah so that kind of came off the back of the wee ribbon actually so I put the wee ribbon on display for the public to see and everybody kept trying to look for their birthday and what my wee looked like on their birthday. So that really kind of blew my mind. And I was like, oh, birthdays, birth, what's going on there? How can I make this work? And um, obviously I came across the placenta, which again, we make it ourselves. Yeah. It's grown in the body, it's an organ, and then we release it along with the child. You obviously know way more about it than I do. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so um yeah I started looking into it and then was thinking so the whole idea of what I do is about taking these products and turning them into something that's kind of aesthetically pleasing yeah. and seeing how people relate to it so I'm not looking to shock people but just get them to see it in a different way yeah so I wanted to be able to put the baby and the placenta back together so the idea of the photo frame kind of came from there 
but when I was doing it, um, I was at university at this time. I was doing my master's, so I was in my final year. Um, and one of my tutors was pregnant, so she had offered to give me her placenta to use for all my tests and my final pieces and things like that. And then the university found out what I was doing and they told me I wasn't allowed to continue and that oh. I had to stop what I was doing. Um, because what? they didn't think that the use of a placenta was um, ethical in a university setting. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So that was, it became very interesting, very different. We had um, lots of people fighting my corner from the university in terms of kind of obviously like human remains are used quite a lot and um, especially in ceramics um, and yeah. as well as animal bones fine bone china is of animal course, bones of course so that kind of idea of you know leather it's used all the time yes, it's an yeah. animal byproduct skin so we kind of fought the corner I had to sit in front of an ethical team and explain what I was doing explain all my research and eventually they allowed me to come back in and continue but I wasn't allowed to use a human placenta. I had to use an animal placenta, which again caused quite a lot of um, questions because a human can give consent, but an animal can't give consent. So going to the butchers and trying to source an animal placenta again became quite hard. <laughs> of course. Yeah. So something that should have been, well, potentially could have been quite simple ended up yeah. this huge yeah. kind of debate but it was interesting I learned a hell of a lot from it oh my goodness so so what did they ever give you a rationale for why it was not okay to use a human placenta but it would be okay to use a sheep placenta for example what what any rationale not really a rationale it was kind of more what was appropriate in that setting of a university to bring an organ like that in or something like that was yeah kind of seems different and I think at this point we were questioning everything because I had done my wee ribbon to this point yeah. so then we were looking at that and trying to work out what was acceptable and what wasn't and it turned out that like each one was in a one millimeter vial mm. and that was ex acceptable because if a child had wet themselves or the amount of urine in a nappy worked out to be roughly about the same amount so it was kind of having to go through risk assessments and work out what I was doing and how we could get around it. Um, so in the end, I just used to get around it and to make sure that I could finish my four-year master's. <laughs> I used um, animal livers for the final piece. My goodness. So, yeah. I, I really can't get my head around that at all. Why? I can't see... What could possibly be the problem here? Particularly as you already had somebody who'd said to you, I want you to have receipt of my placenta to do what you, you're looking to do. And that was one of your tutors, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah it was. How bizarre. It How was. Bizarre. But to be honest, like it, it was an eye opener and it was, I'm kind of glad that they did do it because at that point on, it made, it made me realise you know, I've got to have ethics in place. I've got to be able to answer every question around my work. I was potentially using materials that were taboo, I suppose, yeah. like that or unusual. Yeah. And so it really made me step back and go, okay, I've got to have reasons and answers for everything that I do so that nothing is just by chance. So. But 
you know, it seems a little bit strange that on the majority of cases, the centres are just incinerated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And also, a waste product, more or less. Yeah, it, they are considered a waste product. You're right, absolutely right, Amanda. But what about um, Damien Hurst and all of his um, formaldehyde art pieces? What about that? I mean, didn't he, he had a human being, didn't he strip them right back down to muscle layer and... Um... Yeah, but I, I guess that wasn't done in a university setting, so it's slightly different. Oh, I see. But in this setting, yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, okay. Well, so that so clearly your your path as a disobedient woman was was very obvious at this point because clearly you're doing stuff and you're thinking about doing stuff that you know isn't mainstream and you know you are actually challenging other people to kind of think about what it is where their biases are what they what they're saying albeit the the, the power wasn't in your wasn't on your side but at least you would have gotten a few people maybe to think about what they were saying yeah definitely yeah and I mean the um the person that originally questioned what I was doing on the day that I graduated shook my hand and said you know what you've done is actually incredible your research and everything was amazing and so that felt great to know that even though this person didn't necessarily agree with the material or my actual concept, he still appreciated what I was trying to do. And I think to me, that's really important. When you look at Anne and Mary and all the sculptures I do, art, you don't have to like it, but as long as you can understand where someone's coming from and the purpose of that particular piece of art, that's what's important, I think. Yeah, excellent. Very interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Amanda, what's what's planned for the future? What what other um, exciting projects have you got in the um, in in the So at the moment, um, first lockdown, I I thought that it was going to be a quite quick project. I had some leftover clay, and I thought about um, sculpting myself out of the clay, so a life size version of myself. Just because, you know, no one else was really around except me. Yeah. <laughs> we were in lockdown. So I decided to go about it and I didn't want to use mirrors or anything like that. I just wanted to attempt to sculpt myself and then see what happened. So head to foot, I went about it and I measured every 10 centimetres of my body with a bit of string and then measured the clay. And of, I don't know if you know this, but clay shrinks 10% as it dries. So I was having to constantly change and adapt the whole thing. And um, I thought it was going to take me two weeks to do it. It took me almost four months to actually finish it. Wow. Yeah. And it became really emotional and exhausting because I was looking at my body all day, every day, kind of assessing parts of it, building a bit of my arm and then realising, no, my arm doesn't look anything like that and and having to change it. And I don't think I ever thought of myself as having body issues, but through doing this, I found that I I did. I have a lot of them. And my kind of self-esteem of showing my body became quite intense. Like I didn't want to show pictures of my sculpture. I didn't really enjoy people coming and looking at it. I was quite embarrassed around it. And so this has now kind of become one of my art pieces that I'm going to do a series of them based around me and how other people kind of perceive me and 
how they potentially handle my sculpture or kind of vice versa. So I haven't got the full idea kind of decided what I'm going to do, but I'm going to leave it quite fluid and use different materials to kind of express who I am and who other people are through me. Wow, that's wonderful. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of people left in lockdown, particularly if you're on your own, do start start to look at yourself either inwardly and outwardly. And because you had all this time, free time to actually do it, and this is where some of the mental health issues maybe have been coming from. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, that's true. That is yeah. true. I mean, we, we've all had a lot of, a lot of, a lot more time on our hands potentially, haven't we? And more of us have anyway um, than usual. So yeah, I'm assuming. And also, it's, it's. I think it might also be the uncertainty of not knowing when or if this is going to end. You know, our this this kind of mm. isolation that we've all been forced into. Um, so yeah, I, I I know I felt a little bit. I've felt a little bit, because I've carried on working, you know, I'm still working, mm. but I've also had a little less time because I've not been, I've been doing a lot of stuff online, you know, a lot of antenatal work, a lot of postnatal work, well, no, mostly antenatal work online. And so I haven't been dashing about as much as I normally would. So I have been at home a bit. So apart from the fact I've been in the garden a bit, I have actually found my mind wandering off to think, gosh, this is what it's going to be like in maybe 10 years when I may be retired. <laughs> what it's going to be like. Because, uh, I mean, the, other thing, the other thing, I'm just thinking out loud here, you've made a, kind of a, a lifestyle sculpture of yourself. I mean, we've all had photos taken of us and gone, oh gosh, I don't like that photo, and put it away mm. thinking, oh, not a very good camera angle. But when you've got a lifestyle sculpture that you've made in front of you, that's sports and all, that's everything, isn't it? Mm. Amazing. The way you thought you saw yourself is different to actually the way other people see you. Yeah, definitely. Is, is that the sort of thing that you were looking at, Amanda? To start with, no. Like I said, I, I just had leftover clay and I didn't really know what to do with myself. So I <laughs> decided to do it. I hadn't really thought all of this was going to come out of it, to be honest. Um, yeah. I was just going to build it and then destroy it and make something else. It wasn't really... I oh, hadn't wow. thought about it at all. Yeah. Um, but I think it was more when people started asking me about it and then I was thinking about sharing it on social media and that's when I started to freak out. Oh, wow. Because it was that idea of um, kind of this was me and obviously it was me naked, technically. I haven't got clothes on in this sculpture. And it was kind of I was going to allow the world to see me naked in a way, although it wasn't me. Yeah. In my head, it was me. Cool. So, and it, it was very strange, like working out whether I was or wasn't going to do it. But then I decided it was kind of all part and part of the process. So that, so I did it and people were commenting saying like, oh, I didn't like, your bum's not that big or, you know, or your arms look a little bit short. And I was thinking, well, they might, but that is actually me. Like, <laughs> if you measure it and things like that, like, that is it. So oh, it was goodness. kind of very strange in that kind of aspect. And a lot of people said, oh, you must be very, very confident to do a sculpture of yourself and put it out there. And I was kind of like, well, no, it's actually the complete opposite. Yeah. 
So when you see people on social media that, you know, are taking lots of selfies and putting themselves out there, maybe they're the, they aren't actually as confident as they come across. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I found, I yeah. 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 No, you can see that. You can see that people are also also true that when they're doing things like that they're trying to present their better self aren't they that, that, that mm. they're trying they're selling a fantasy as well and they're selling their fantasy to themselves more than exactly it to the rest of us yeah so, you know i think i think that's exactly what's going on but so, oh my gosh that is an incredibly brave is it is it brave it's the right word? Hmm? sounds like it's a journey of self-discovery and you know, getting something that you really weren't expecting from a, you know, an idea, oh, let's just do a sculpture of myself without considering what the sort of ramifications could be. Mm -hmm. Interesting thing. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. So I've got two more sculptures that have come out of it. So I made the clay version, and then because it had taken me so long, I decided to make a mould of that. So I now have a silicon mould of it. And I've just finished a paper version. Mm. So um, where my studio is, there's a school. So all the children recycled loads of paper and gave me their paper to so all their little drawings and things. Oh. And I've made me out of their recycled paper. Oh, wow. So instead of oh. being kind of like a bit of a scary sculpture in my eyes, it's now very colourful and playful and it's got this like kind of joy in it. So I'm looking at myself now in a very different way to what I was before. So that's one. And then I'm doing another one, which I'm sculpting next week and I'm making it out of bird seed. And I'm going to leave it out in the wild and kind of over a series of two days, video animals and birds and things eating me to see how I feel about that oh wow <laughs> that's amazing Amanda well it's uh, quite a journey that you've been taking yourself on isn't it yes mm, <laughs> yeah I mean for me it's obviously me but I think for other people you're looking at it as just another person and how that person changes as well like and someone also said to me with the bird one they were like I wonder because it's going to be made out of bird seed and it's human shape if the birds are going to be scared of it or not. Yeah, that's, that's a good thing. Humans yeah. are quite scary, mm. whereas this is going to be made out of their food. So we wonder how they're going to. So it's quite interesting. Yeah. Different ways. Yeah. So where are, you, where are you going to put that piece? Where is that going to be? And, and how are you going to record the um, response to, for, of wildlife to it? Um, so it's actually going, I live in Limehouse in London. So it's going to Tower Hamlet Cemetery and it's being recorded over two days. So we're just going to watch what happens over two days. And then, yeah, I think we're just going to leave, because obviously it's made out of birdseed. It seems silly for me to keep it when we could feed lots of birds and things like that. So yeah. it's just going to stay there until it completely disappears. Oh, wow. And the, cool. so the video will be the final piece of that one. And um, where will you post the video? Where, where could uh, other people see that if they wanted to log on and have a look? Oh, they can see it on my website, um, yeah. on my Instagram. The news, yeah. That sounds fascinating. I'm definitely going to be logging on to see what's going on <laughs> with that. How I'm me. Yeah. So, are you planning on doing an um a maybe like a bronze or something of you? Maybe it's. I mean, struggling artist. Bronze is expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so it depends what happens, but yeah, I think I don't know yet. I haven't decided what the fourth one is going to be, but. I'm willing to take suggestions, if you've got any. 
Oh. Well, I'm just wondering, um, you know, we've got a lot of, um, there's a lot of controversy here, isn't there, around um, the statues and sculptures around mm -hmm. the country at the moment of, you know, men who potentially were slave traders or slave owners. And, and mm -hmm. I'm just wondering, maybe if we could convince somebody to let them recycle uh, and, and you could maybe ask for access to some of that, if there's some bronze about, maybe. Yeah, that's true. That could, yeah. You know, have some, some beautiful um, sculpture in bronze of Amanda, Amanda Cotton. Yeah. I would love that. <laughs> that would be great. I think that's a really good idea. I mean, I'm pretty sure the, you know, the, the eco warriors out there would be totally on that, on that side. I think that would be something nice. Yeah. <laughs> So what do you think about all these, um, as a sculptor, what do you think about all of these um, um, protests about um, removing statues and, and putting them in museums as opposed to leaving them out? You know, I have two minds of it. One is that we, I mean, I'm a big history. Yeah. It's a big thing of our culture and I think it's a good, a good thing to keep remembering all the history that we have. But at the same time, like, it is really great that we can have new sculptures out there. Yeah. And change things up a little bit. Sometimes we get a bit stuck in the time and we should be moving forward and being able to change and spice things up a little. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it's a nice time to be a sculptor, yeah. I think, because there's a lot of opportunities out there now to kind of get your work in public spaces. Yeah. Which maybe if this hadn't happened would it be the case? Who knows? No, I mean, I totally agree with you. I, I really do think that, I, th I think it's important. We've got our history. We know, and it's important that we know our history and know it properly. Mm. Exactly. And, and I also think that, you know, we should be moving um, structures around, you know, that, and we should be able to see things that represent now as well, not just the past, but we should be looking at the present. Mm. And, and I think it would be more, uh, we would have a more interesting um country cities you know wherever um if we we did change them frequently we'd have more people coming out and looking and you know mm. taking exactly. notes i think it would be much much more um beneficial to the community as a lot at, at large i think if we if we did do that and i do think we should keep those sculptures um possibly putting them in museums where we go to to find out about history anyway yeah. so you know I think I think that seems very obvious and, and very reasonable to me for for that to happen and we should say you know we used to have landowners who also were slave owners and we don't do that anymore and you know we've grown we've moved moved beyond that and you know that's not something that we mm. want to celebrate in, in you know in, in a great way anymore so I don't see anything wrong with that either so I think that that's a better yeah. idea but I think it's also like as generations come through like to me these sculptures are reminders of why we don't do this anymore and why we shouldn't be doing this and teaching people you know let's keep going forward like and I think they are they should be kept in museums and things as that kind of reminder and the same as I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't be taking people from history, Anna and Mary are from history, mm. but they're a current day issue yes. that we need to sort out. Yeah. And I think that's what's important as yeah. well. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the Anne and Mary story is really important because we've got Me Too, we've got women really 
um, making inroads um, into the, the equality issue. And, and I think it's really important, which is also why we do this podcast. It's really important to connect um, women with other women who are doing things outside of what's considered allowed and mainstream so that we all feel a bit braver and a bit more able to take that step towards being exceptional because we're all exceptional and we we need to just be allowed to allow ourselves to do it and and I, I think it's it's I, I I love the Anna Mary thing so much I can't tell you so I'm going to be looking I am going to be looking for somewhere lovely to put to put it because I know that you're are you still looking for somewhere to, to place that that sculpture yeah we're still looking for a home um we've had lots of people come forward but it's just oh. a case of kind of going through everything because I mean if you don't know if you've never put a sculpture somewhere it's it's not a case of we'll just put the sculpture here. There's a lot of health and safety. The sculpture is eight foot tall. It weighs a ton. Yeah. Like it's not very, it's not simple. Like yeah. the ground has got to be stable. It's got to have a concrete base on you can't just sit on grass, for instance. Yeah. So there's lots of things that we need to look at. And the insurance of a sculpture like this that you have to pay yearly is also a factor. So yeah, there's lots of things to look at. Yeah. But we're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we're going to find a home for them. Like, it's it's an inspiring story. So yeah. I just want to find somewhere that is going to celebrate it and appreciate it. Yeah, so, I, I totally. The main name. Yeah. No, I I was thinking because I'm in Suffolk, so I was thinking, oh, Albra, Albra, definitely. They they'd love it. It looked perfect on that beach with the wind blowing her hair. Anyway, she's looking out. Mm. I mean, and they've got quite so few nice sculptures on them on that beach anyway. So you never know. Okay. Thanks for the suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think it'd be lovely. Um, so uh, we spoke before you came onto the podcast a little while back, actually, Amanda, and you were saying that you're giving up your job um, and to go yeah. and be an, an artist full time. Have you have you managed mm -hmm. to do that now? Is that something you've really fully committed to now? I have. This is my first week as a oh. full time artist yeah oh congratulations <laughs> thank you congratulations thanks yeah. well yeah, it feels good this is very exciting because i think there's lots of lovely things coming from you that we should all be looking forward to uh to seeing from you in the future so thank we'd you. love to um to keep a, an eye on what you're up to and uh, we'll all be logging onto your website to see what's going on with that um with this, with the, the, the Amanda Cotton um, birdseed. Yeah. <laughs> birdseed figure. That will be, that's going to be totally fascinating. And where, where can we, do you, do you have your, like your wee ribbon or any of your other pieces? Are, are, they, are they somewhere for people to go and see that's public or do you, do you keep them yourself in a workshop or a warehouse? I am a little bit of a hoarder. So, <laughs> and I think also because the pieces are all parts of me, I kind of get a bit weirded out about giving them out. Sure. <laughs> um, so I do put them on public display temporarily in certain different places, but at the moment, because of the circumstances in the world, everything is with me at the moment. But as the world starts to open up again, and we ribbon, for example, um, I did ten years ago, so. We Ribbon 2.0 is in the making oh. <laughs> so that I can look at kind of how my lifestyle and me as a person has changed in 10 years later. So 
that will hopefully go on display. It will be finished in October this year. Okay. The collecting. So hopefully early the following year, it will be back on display alongside We Ribbon Number One. So I'll let you know. Keep updated. Excellent. We'd love to. We'd love to know what's going on. And we'd love to be able to go and see it somewhere. It'd be nice to see if we can get you in the white cube or something. You know, one of those. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a dream. Yeah. <laughs> well, for me, my favourite is uh, the Welcome Collection in Euston. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a really good place for it, actually. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So have you, have you, are you making little inroads into inquiring or is it just a dream at the moment? Just a dream. Yeah. Just a dream. One day. Yeah. Well, if you need I'm someone a- to recommend you, we'll be quite happy to write something for you. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate Absolutely. it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, guys. Well, I think this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much, Amanda, for coming along and talking to us today. Um, uh, we will um, post an update on our Instagram on your um, your bird seed. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm totally fascinated by this. Um, so yeah, so lovely to chat to you. And if, if you've got anything else that you're um, you're doing in the future, if you don't mind just coming back and asking you to come on again to talk about it, because I think it's been amazing. We're really fascinated by some of the things that you're doing. And I'm so grateful that you are doing some of the things that you're doing and, and thinking out of the mainstream box, because we, we're all about that. Oh, thank you. Thanks for all your kind comments and having me on. It's been really nice to kind of, have my say, I suppose. I know, it's been lovely. <laughs> we really lovely need, to yeah, we really need to, um, obviously we, we're all about celebrating women and we need to do that, don't we? So, yeah. you know, excellent. Yeah, thank you, you so much. All right, well, we'll say goodbye for now. Take care. Cool. Hey, take care, bye-bye. This podcast is a London Birth Practice production. Music by Marcus Fabiano. Editing by Chris Atkins. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And come and visit us on www.theeveevent.com to join the conversation and let us know what you think, as well as who you want us to have a conversation with next. <laughs>